Can you heal from abuse? What do I do after leaving my narcissist? What does a healthy relationship look like? These concerns cross the minds of over 20 people every minute, over 28,800 people every day. And the sad fact is, we still don't talk about it enough. Healing from emotional abuse isn't a band-aid situation, but it doesn't have to take years either. The lives of millions of other survivors around the world have been impacted by their narcissist. Yours doesn't have to. To show you how to live a free, confident, and peaceful life, your host and founder of the Healing from Emotional Abuse philosophy, Marissa F. Cohen. Overcoming narcissism and healing from emotional abuse are so important to your mental health and to living a life filled with freedom, confidence, and peace. Today, we're going to be talking to Patrick Monette, who is a trauma-informed therapist, EMDR therapist, and he's just hilarious. But before we start, I want to brainstorm ways that I can help ease your healing journey. Imagine you're standing on a cliff, and on the other side of a deep, deep canyon is the life that you dream of, a partner who connects with you, supports you, and empowers you, someone who makes you smile and laugh, a life filled with freedom, confidence, and peace. I have been where you are now, standing on the edge, dreaming of that life. And I've built the bridge between where you are now and that dream that seems so far away. Let me walk you across the bridge and literally hand you the life of your dreams. It's possible. I've walked this path with thousands of survivors before who were in your place who now live a free, confident, and peaceful life. Let's walk this path together. Don't waste any more time feeling lonely, worthless, or exhausted. It's not worth it, and you deserve to live a happy life. Schedule a call with me today at schedulealcallwithmarissa.com. Welcome back to Healing from Emotional Abuse. Today we have an awesome guest and we've been like vibing for the past 10 <laughs> minutes just chatting about Jewish guilt and Catholic guilt and being silly. So today we have Patrick Monette. He's a licensed mental health addiction and certified trauma counselor located in Northern New York. He's also a certified EMDR therapist and EMDRIA approved consultant and trained couples counselor. He's got a great resume. His work focuses on helping people learn how healthy coping skills and resourcing as part of their trauma treatment. He has taught at local universities and maintains a private practice focusing on couples work and trauma-informed treatment, as well as gender issues, anger management, and co-occurring disorders. He's actively engaged in the local community drug court system as a mental health consultant and educator. Patrick is fluent in English and Spanish and offers treatment in both languages. Welcome on, Patrick. Jeez, Thanks. you're great. Thanks, Marissa. It sounds so fancy. I'm like, <laughs> you do sound fancy. <laughs> so it's so nice. Thank you. I'm so honored to be on your show and to connect with you. And I can't think of a better way to end a crazy week than, than hanging out together. So I'm super excited to be here. Well, thank you. I feel the exact same way. So would you mind, outside of your intro, just like telling us a little bit about yourself, what you do, what you enjoy? Right. So, you know, as I was saying, it's like I'm pretty low-key. So I'm in private practice. Um, I'm a mental health counselor, and I love I love working with a variety of people. I, you know, in my private practice, I do, um, especially with COVID, my practice is completely online. So I've been able to modify all that where I do individual therapy, group therapy. And I also started offering online couple retreats, which has been really powerful, which I really love. I'm also, so EMDR is, is a trauma-informed 
treatment. So I also work with that. I assist in trainings and I also do a lot of consultation for people who are learning EMDR, uh, which I just love as well. So it's a really nice blend of, of different professional experiences. That's awesome. So I have heard so many positive things about EMDR therapy and how it's helped sexual assault and domestic violence survivors. Would you mind just giving us like the very basic about what EMDR is? Sure. So EMDR stands for Eye Movement Desensitization and Reprocessing Therapy, which is a mouthful. Um, you know, it's created in the 80s by Dr. Francine Shapiro. And, you know, the basic version I can say is that it helps to identify targets or issues that you've been struggling with, whether it's specific trauma or disturbing events or upsetting events that get stuck in certain parts of your brain. And with EMDR interventions, we're able to help the brain communicate more efficiently to be able to, to take those disturbing events and make them more adaptive so they're not causing you so much pain and harm. So you can be, uh, you know, kind of, I don't want to say move on, but so they're not harming you and as painful as they once were. Wow, that's really awesome. I'm still not entirely understanding of like the intricacies of that. So basically what happens is if you, for example, when you go about your regular day and then you go home and you rest and you go into your REM sleep, your deep, your deep sleep, your brain is able to process everything that's happened during that day. So when you get up in the next day, you're like, okay, I had breakfast, we did this, we chatted, and the, there isn't any distress really. When something traumatic happens, the brain cannot process it. It's almost like too big. If you think of it like a conveyor belt, that memory, that event is too big to go down into the other parts. So it gets lodged. And then it gets stuck on that part of the brain, which then bleeds into a whole bunch of other issues of, you know, when we're talking about PTSD, flashbacks, nightmares, other anxiety, depression. You know, that's why a lot of people, when they can't, quote unquote, move past a trauma, they either develop anxiety, depression. I see a lot of people who develop addiction related issues because they're trying to eradicate the pain. That makes a lot more sense. Honestly, thinking about it as like a survivor, I feel like the most common immediate response is if I just stop thinking about it, it'll go away. Like I want to just, I want this to go away and exit my head. If I wash it away. And just Time will make it go away, yes. but that's not true. And so EMDR no. therapy breaks that down, right? And like yes. allows your brain to process it. That is yes. super cool. So if you think of the trauma is like a giant iceberg in your brain. And then by doing what we call bilateral stimulation, which is a really natural intervention, it melts down the iceberg and then it can go into the channel into your brain where it doesn't make the event get erased, but you can move on with your life without being harpooned back to that pain anytime you might be potentially triggered or reminded of that event. How long does it take generally for somebody who has experienced severe domestic violence or sexual assault to really be able to move forward using EMDR? That's a great question. And it's really case by case because it, it depends on the severity of the attack or the abuse of the violence. Every person that I work with, you know, when we're when we say we're trauma-informed care, that is for me, it means we're taking this slow. Not because I want you to be in pain longer, but because safety has been has been bastardized in your life. You know, we want to look at security. We want to do this safe and sound in the way of let's figure out what you are able to address 
and what you actually need to work on because everyone needs different things. Sometimes it's guilt, anger, shame. You know, it might be different aspects of their lives that are affected by the trauma. I just take my time to really see like, you know, build that strong therapeutic relationship with clients to see what is it that you actually want to work on and let me see what I can do to support you on that. Now, when you get into the EMDR therapy itself, it's really a case by case scenario of everyone's individual brain processing of how, how much EMDR they might need, how much time they need to process it. In addition to what I see is, are they still in the relationship? Are they still in the situation? Which is very different comparative. They're out, you know, that freedom, you know, it's all of those, if their basic needs are being met. So I kind of look at all these different components when I'm meeting with someone. That makes a lot of sense. So in my mind, I saw it as a resource for after people leave, but people who are still in abusive relationships, they come and work with you too? Yes, yes. Do you know like how it affects them or if doing EMDR has encouraged people to leave faster? Have you gotten that kind of response? See, I think in a lot of times, and I, I'm sure you've, you've seen this with your own experiences and other people, is there's that expectation sometimes that people, when they're in those situations of just leave, turn it off, just mm. do, like, if it was that easy, it would be. But there's that deep emotional and psychological components going on when you're in those, you know, abusive and destructive situations. A lot of times what I've noticed with my people is it's just... When we're doing EMDR, it's kind of like they're going through a snowstorm and we're giving them some additional support to get clarity. Okay. So when, when you're doing some other trauma-informed care treatments, it's, you, you have to talk about the trauma and that, you know, you desensitize, you, you decrease the, the trauma. But with EMDR, it's, you don't actually have to talk about it as much. You identify what the target is, what the problem is, and it's, it's more about this beautiful journey of what do you believe about yourself? So, for example, it's when someone stays in that relationship, they might say, you know, I said, so what do you, when you think of this abusive relationship, what is the negative belief that you're telling yourself? Being able to look at the negative beliefs and help the clients just sort of build a little bit more resilience and clarity into what's going on. Because when you're in those situations, there's usually such a high level of psychological damage going on that you don't even know who you are sometimes. Wow. That's so true. And that's something that I, that I also identify in my coaching is that you lose yourself in abuse, right? Because they program you to feel differently than you might actually feel and take away the aspects of, of your life and of your identity that, that might be very personal to you. Wow. That's really, really yes. cool. Oh, I'm so happy that that exists and that that's getting more clout and more attention right. now. So let's get off the EMDR topic. Although I could talk about this with you all day all right. because I think it's awesome. Right. We were having a separate conversation before we started about guilt and how guilt in different religions plays a role in just like how people interact. Mm -hmm. But specifically what I want to talk about, because you come from a Catholic upbringing, is how Christianity and how Catholicism view abuse and like the guilt of staying mm -hmm. in an abusive right. situation. Right. It's so hard because 
most of us grow up to believe, you know, if we grow up in a belief system, that that's supposed to be our protection, that that's where we're supposed to be safe. But the more there is in a lot of these situations and how that division of power is used, we're in a religious system. That makes sense. And I can speak from from Judaism. I'm not Hasidic or religious, really, but Mm -hmm. in very Hasidic communities, which Catholicism, in my opinion, is like the religious, like a more religious aspect of Christianity. And I could be very incorrect. So please correct me if I'm wrong. But in Hasidic communities, they don't go outside of their community at all. Everybody takes their questions and their problems to that to the rabbi, to the head rabbi. He's the person in charge. Okay. So in domestic violence in Hasidic communities, the rabbi is the one who gets to say, well, what are you doing to anger your husband? Mm -hmm. Or Mm -hmm. what are you doing wrong? Like you, the wife, generally are the peacemaker Mm -hmm. in the household. And so you need to be the one fixing the problem. I don't want to generalize. I can only speak to my experience in certain things. Like I grew up where about sinning and, and, you know, when you make that vow in the Catholic church, you know, like it's forever and in all these different things. But I've also seen where there's that abusive thing of you're going to disappoint God by ending this marriage or by leaving it or look at the damn, like it's a lot of victim blaming. That's a good way to put it. And that shame, I mean, not even talking about guilt, let's slash onto that shame of you are letting God down. You put that on top of someone who's being abused in every aspect of abuse that there is. And it's such a deadly cocktail. Right. I've also seen people, amazing advocates in the Catholic church. Um, It's hard because, you know, during the last few years, if we're going to keep it real, you know, the coming to light about all the abuse in the Catholic church towards children. Right. So it's really like a mushroom of different issues, right? Yeah. I, I mean, I, I definitely see your point. I mean, it's a person-by-person person conversation, right? So there are some rabbis who'd be like, get out. <laughs> and there are some rabbis who'd be like, right. no, you stay. This is your problem. And I'm sure it's the same thing with priests and pastors and everybody. It's a very person-by-person person basis. Right. What I've seen in some you know, experiences with clients is sometimes they get into those situations where they are blamed. Like you're not praying hard enough. You're not doing this. And I'm a person of faith. I I love God. It's a huge part of my, I'm no longer, I don't identify as Catholic. Um, I'm more spiritual, but there is, there's a place for, for prayer and there is a place for action and, and therapy. Yes. And I think they can dance really well. To, I mean, in my life they have, but in other people, it's hard because there's such a abuse in the spiritual world and or in the religious world. I always go to is like, if this doesn't feel right, it's probably not right for me. That's a good way to look at it. And I think that a lot of religion is kind of just how you consume it and how you process it, right? Because there's different sects of every religion that read the same texts, but right. just observe differently. And so when it comes to trauma and it comes to domestic violence, because it's, it's a private issue, people don't really know how to handle it. So a lot of people turn to religion. Mm-hmm. I guess my, my biggest concern with that is because the text is susceptible to being like you can read it and understand it a different way. Like yeah, the interpretation. It, and interpret. it's, usually, it's usually not in favor of women or 
anyone that's not a like white male. <laughs> I mean, in my experiences, I could be wrong. Other people, but it's. I tend to agree with that. It's like, come on, we got to keep it real. Of things have to evolve, and one of the things is whether it's religion or not is that shame and the secrecy that is so damaging to people who are experiencing violence and abuse. And then if you, if you interpret the text in a way that in order for you to leave, your partner needs to have cheated on you or asked for a divorce, that's so limiting because I don't, in my opinion, and I could be wrong, but I don't think God or Jesus or Allah, like anyone, I don't think that being wants you to be unhappy or in a dangerous position. And so by looking at the text and saying point blank, no, you can't leave until that person asks to leave or until that person leaves, that's so dangerous. Right. And it also takes away free will choice, which, you know, that's part of the human experience. Right. But I think that the religion like when people interpret it that way, mm-hmm. it consumes their whole life and they're not right. able to act on free will. Right. Agreed. The will of- that they're supposed to sacrifice for the greater good in a way. Right. Even though that version of the greater good may not be accurate or really true or loving. Right. Absolutely. So let's go back to your professional experience. You don't just do EMDR. You also do addiction therapy and trauma-informed therapies and stuff like that. So how often do you see the, like an overlap in other areas that probably stemmed from abuse or sexual assault, especially with addiction? I would say if I even like made it a little bit broader, if we just put it in terms of trauma in general, I would say probably like 98% of people that come in my door have some aspect of trauma. Wow. I think when we classify trauma, you know, it used to be, you know, 9-11. It used to be vets. It used to be, you know, very specific populations. But the word trauma actually means wound, right? So Mm -hmm. if you changed trauma for wound, how many people do we know that are wounded? Everybody. Everybody has experiences that shape them. From COVID to sexual assault, to physical assault, to addiction, to a million different things, to losing a job, to losing a child, to losing a relationship. And I think when you're doing trauma-informed care, you have that broad, broad view of this person has strengths, they have resilience because they've survived, but there's some injuries, there's some wounds there, and maybe I can help them find ways to, to mend it and to to move forward in a healthier way. If there was one thing, like one routine change or one small activity that people could add to their daily routines that might alleviate some of that, do you have any like recommendations or do you have like any ideas of maybe something that you've done with other people? This is going to sound funny, but I have clients ask them what they're feeling. Okay. Because how many of us are disconnected from our emotions? And if I don't have a relationship with my emotions, I'm probably not going to get very far. That's very fair. So it's just a check-in throughout the day of how am I feeling right now? How am I feeling? And not having to necessarily do anything, but to develop our awareness. Because when we don't deal with our emotions, when we don't have a healthy relationship with them, 
It's sort of like building a house on top of swampland. It's probably not going to go very well. That makes so much sense. Just like becoming more self-aware allows us to recognize and work through something that we need to process in that moment. Right. And it, it sounds simple, like, oh, that's not really profound. But if, if we put it through the lens of someone who's gone through something traumatic, a lot of times people, all of their energy is to avoid all of the emotions, right? Because it's not safe. Yeah. It's painful. It's scary. Like you said, you just want to you just want to forget it. So you want me to talk about my feelings? That could be opening up a barrel of monkeys. That's really dangerous. I think that that's something that's a really important thing to do is be able to check in. But would you recommend starting doing that while in a therapy session or with somebody who's licensed who might be able to help somebody through it? Because I know that right after my abuse, if I was trying to do a check-in, I probably would have like launched myself off a bridge. And I'm not saying that to be funny. Like I right. would have yep. probably tried to attempt suicide. Definitely. And when I'm working with someone, especially with EMDR, there are very specific techniques that I teach clients, almost every client, of how to help improve their emotional regulations that, you know, going back to the brain functioning that help them uh, sort of develop ways to, to ride those waves of emotion instead of being drowned by them. So definitely being re reached out for help, you know, someone that can be there for you that's objective, that can give you specific skills to improve your emotional functioning. If you enjoyed this podcast, you have to check out www.marissafaycohen.com backslash private dash coaching. That's www.marissafaycohen.com backslash private dash coaching. Marissa would love to develop a made for you healing plan to heal from emotional abuse. She does all the work and you just show up. Stop feeling stuck, alone, and hurt and live a free, confident, and peaceful life. Don't forget to subscribe to the the Healing from Emotional Abuse podcast and follow us on Facebook at www.facebook.com backslash Marissa F. Cohen and Instagram at marissa.fay.cohen. We'd love to see you there.